I, from the get-go, didn't really believe in that. Mm -hmm. I, I followed a philosophy of saying, listen, truly strategic, long-term, valuable client relationships are based on empowerment, mm -hmm. are based on making your client smarter, based on really helping your client build a competency and, and an intellectual property basis in the, a data-driven approach to personalized communication with consumers. Project A Podcast. Hi, my name is Florian. I'm one of the founding partners of Project A Ventures. And today with me is Kaspar Sku, the founder and CEO of Simasio, one of our oldest investments and actually one of the most intellectually exciting. <laughs> Thanks a lot for being here, Kaspar. Well, thank you for inviting Florian. Yeah, and uh, we, we thought today we're going to give our audience a little uh, more challenging topic. We're going to talk about edtech targeting you know, semantic precision, things like very, very interesting stuff like that. But uh, we hope it will still be interesting and we promise to make it fun. Kaspar, can you talk a little bit about the history of Simasio? When did you start the company? How did you come to this yeah, kind of uh, rather specific area in the, uh, in the digital field? Well, I suppose for that we really have to go um, a long way back, mm -hmm. back to the uh, late 90s, early noughties in Aarhus mm -hmm. in Denmark. I was... Um, Studying, um, I was doing um, um, my master's degree in what I like to call Marxist computer science. Mm -hmm. only, not only because Marxist, it's like in terms Marxist, of Karl, Karl yes, Marx, very very suitable location we've chosen. Yeah. Um, not only because it's a pretty good conversation starter, but also because it's kind of true. So what is it? It's basically a Scandinavian tradition in con computer science systems development, this whole idea of creating IT systems by the people for the people, mm -hmm. which was um, a humanist reaction to uh, traditional computer science, which at that time in the, in the late 70s, early 80s, was all about systems, efficiencies, business process reengineering, all that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And, and uh, this group of people who created this particular educational um, contrast wanted to bring the human beings back into the picture, right? So this this was a, a tremendous eye opener for me. Yes, there was systems development in it and so on, but there were also very big elements of psychology, of sociology, of philosophy, of communications theory, organizational theory, and so on. And um, that really opened my eyes to just what kind of responsibility we take on our shoulders when we build an IT system which is now supposed to allow practitioners to work in, in their field, in their domain, mm -hmm. what part of the domain do we choose mm -hmm. to formalize? What, um, how do we formalize those parts that we select and so on? And it all um, culminated in my uh, master's thesis, which was a critique of the normal understanding of concepts that we have in computer science, specifically in object orientation, showing that this is this is actually a very um, alien understanding of concepts compared to what cognitive psychology has developed or the understanding they've developed over the last about 50, 60 years. And the whole idea was to say that this old Aristotelian understanding of concepts like you have furniture, under that you have chairs, under that you have rocking chairs, and all of this stuff exists somehow. It's, mm. it's, it's reality. It's actually very, very far from how our human mind really works. Mm. And that um, 
the, the way we understand concepts is, is much more fluid, mm -hmm. much more like how our brain works with these patterns of neurons firing and, and, and just a much more organic understanding. Um, then, you know, uh, I, I got into management consulting. I, I ran um, a technology company for a while together with our current CTO. It was a semantic search engine company. And mm -hmm. that's, that's basically when one of the seeds of Semasio was sown. I um, went to do an MBA um, in France and met a very interesting company out of uh, Hamburg called Wonderloop. Mm -hmm. And Wonderloop was undergoing a tremendous development at the time uh, with uh, uh, new investors in and plans for great pan-European expansion and so on. And it's probably fair to say they were probably the pioneer in, in digital targeting, at least in Germany and probably also in Europe, right? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, founded in 1999 under the name uh, 7D, mm -hmm. uh, they were definitely the pioneers to the extent where hardly anyone understood what they were talking about. Yeah. And I feel their pain. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I decided to join them because I didn't know anything about, about online advertising and I, th I thought it was a really interesting field. So um, I came on board as VP Business Development, which basically meant internal consultant, right? Whenever something was really messy and really complex, it would land on my table with uh, a wet, sloppy noise. But it was a tremendous learning opportunity for me because having to deal with all these very complex problems, I very quickly got under the, the skin, so to speak, of this budding industry, right? But it also um, gave me this kind of growing um, uh, problem with the existing paradigm because um, the way they did things is very much back to the Aristotelian approach. They would say, listen, we're going to build a taxonomy and of categories, predefined categories, and then when a user consumes a specific um, page, either manually or automatically, we're going to find the best box to put that page into. Mm -hmm. Is it um, mid-class sedans? Is it adventure travel? Whatever it might be, right? Mm -hmm. But it needs to fit into a predefined box which we have created along with the whole system, a whole taxonomy. Just, just to make that clear to, to, to the listener, because I don't know whether, whether that's uh, like a natural kind of thing for everybody. So if you are, you're, you're talking about any kind of publisher page, could be Spiegel.de mm -hmm. or could be the New York Times, every page will usually be categorized in a standard taxonomy, right? So depending on yes. the content that's on the page, could be an article on cars and it's like a mid-class sedan kind of page and, mm -hmm. and that's part of a predefined taxonomy that's either issued by a publisher association or by the interactive advertising board or, or bureau or people like that right so, yes mm -hmm. so and, and that's standard still standard practice today in, 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 in most digital uh, advertising kind of countries or, or industries right absolutely yeah and it's logical because from the moment we learn to speak, to use language, we are taught th this taxonomical approach to the world. Mm -hmm. you, you, you know, suddenly you learn that there are mammals, mm -hmm. and under mammals there are cats and dogs. And, and we, 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 we learn from very, very early on to think and speak in taxonomy, so of course we're going to assume that they exist, mm -hmm. that they are real, mm -hmm. that they are the way of looking at the world. But I had a growing problem with it, because I... I I was thinking about my master's thesis, thinking about this much more organic approach mm -hmm. to understanding concepts, to defining concepts. And one of the things that, that uh, one of the tasks I found really interesting to think about was define for me objectively um, what a chair is. You can't do it. 
I mean, the, I invite the listener to pause now mm-hmm. and try for, for him or herself. How do you really objectively define a chair? It's impossible. Mm-hmm. There are no defining characteristics of a chair, yet we all know what a chair is. And if asked, we can rank chairness, mm-hmm. right? So the ones we're sitting in, right, uh, typical office chairs, these have very high chairness. A bar stool, a little less chairness, but it's also kind of a chair, and so on and so forth, right? So, so what what I was what I was um, uh, what was bubbling in my consciousness was taking a completely different approach mm-hmm. than the taxonomical one. Um, and that's where this, the seed started to grow from from, mm-hmm. from Speed of Mind, the semantic search engine company that I ran together with my, um, with my now co-founder and CTO. Because what, what, uh, what we did was basically to, to analyze um, pages semantically or analyze documents semantically without using any kind of taxonomization. Mm-hmm. So um, I went for a long walk with my now co-founder and asked him, listen, I, I have this problem with the taxonomization that we're doing when understanding user behavior. Can we, uh, c- couldn't we take a semantic approach to it? And I said, yeah. Uh, he, he basically said, why would, you, why would you actually taxonomize? That's tremendously destructive. That's, like, that's keeping you from achieving what you want to achieve. Because you're basically, you're cutting out information on the actual user behavior by reducing it to basically being part of a taxonomy, which could be an element of it, but which is certainly not the whole picture? Or what, 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 how would you describe this? Basically, we, we identified three major problems. Mm-hmm. First of all, and this is the most subtle one, the one we tend to forget the easiest, it's a very subjective approach. Mm-hmm. Why? Because as you, um, as you pointed out, a group of people, be it the IAB or some some other uh, group of people sat down and they created this taxonomy. And so now they decide for you what you can and cannot see when you look at user behavior. They don't know what you want to achieve tomorrow, yet you're putting their glasses on and now you you, uh, have to wear those when you look at user behavior. Mm -hmm. So you import their subjectivity. So if you allow taxonomization, what you are de facto allowing uh, to happen is that you can now only do opinion-driven advertising, not data-driven advertising. Mm-hmm. And it's not even your opinions. Mm-hmm. It's the opinions of this other group of people uh, who don't know what you basically are trying to achieve tomorrow, right? The second one is stasis. Mm-hmm. I mean, a, a, a taxonomy purports to be the true structure of reality, which means the true structure of reality doesn't change. So it, it, it stays static. Mm-hmm. And so the taxonomy stays static. But you and I both know. Or it's adapted once a year by the IAB or whatever. Or something like that, right? And you and I both know that the internet, uh, the consumption and production of internet content um, changes a little more dynamically than once a year, right? Mm -hmm. And so the stasis problem is also uh, a very salient one. But you already alluded to to the most uh, destructive element of the old taxonomical approach namely the information destruction. Mm -hmm. I take this super interesting page with all kinds of different topics in it and I hammer it flat and I just call it adventure travel, even though it was about uh, adventure travel destinations um, for young parents with with small kids. We could have learned so much more from this page if we hadn't hadn't hammered it flat and just called it adventure travel. And so if, if, if when you come in with your goal with what you want to achieve. You want to be able to look at this page in a different way mm-hmm. 
from adventure travel or just adventure travel. Let's say you are looking for young, adventurous parents. Mm -hmm. Yes, adventure travel might be an element, but it, it doesn't do it alone, right? And so the information destruction is probably the biggest problem. Mm -hmm. So so what did we then set out to do? So I was um, um, at Wonderloop in 2009, and I, I, I knew I needed to, to break free and, and try this new paradigm to see if it would fly at all. So at the end of 2009, uh, I resigned as chief product officer at, at Wonderloop and started to look for financing for this new idea, this new crazy idea, because we have to... We have to keep in mind we had no idea if it would work at all. Yeah. We were just we were just very enamored by this idea of taking a semantic approach. And, and there's a strong argument for, for standardization because as an agency, obviously, if you you know tell advertisers uh, there's a given taxonomy and you can book users who are in a certain category, the standardization obviously makes the booking process easier. Yeah, for for it's at least easier for for it's, it's probably not as precise. But it, it makes it easier for, for the agencies. It to is book in it. every way much easier to deal mm -hmm. with. We learned it from when we were two years old and started to use language for the first time. It's so ingrained in us. And to this day, we give the whole rest of the industry a headache because they always ask us, can you send over our taxonomy? And we're like, ah, mm. we're actually not a. <laughs> So in the end, we had to cave in and build one, right? Yeah. But we did it. So uh, you did. You built the taxonomy. <laughs> we we, we did, it, did it reluctantly, just so that we would have a beachhead. We okay. would be a little easier to work with at the beginning, because that's definitely not where we want to end up, right? So. But is it at least a better taxonomy than the one built by the IAB, or is it like a very it's similar? A, it's a similar. very different one. Okay. It, it's one that tries to fill out the, 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 the gaps that are in the existing taxonomies right now, mm -hmm. you know, and looking at what's going on in the world right now, what's going on this time of year and all these things, and making sure that we very dynamically fill out the gaps. Because mm -hmm. then we have something that's fairly standard, but at least it's still doing something different, right? And, and you're doing that, just to, to make that clearer, by taking a deeper look at the, pay, at the, at the words or the content on every individual page where you're not just reducing one or two or reducing it to one or two keywords, basically, mm -hmm. that are part of a predefined taxonomy, but mm -hmm. you're basically bottom-up building a cloud of, of words and meaning around the, the individual page, right? That's that, was, that was the solution we ended up with to uh, eliminating the need for a taxonomy. Mm -hmm. Basically, when a user consumes a page, let's say it's the adventure travel page that mm -hmm. we talked about under the taxonomical paradigm, what we do instead of hammering this um, content flat and putting it into one category is that we use natural language processing to extract the most significant terms and phrases in that page. So think about it as a weighted keyword cloud mm -hmm. that sort of comes out of that page. And because you have just consumed that page, this keyword cloud is now integrated into your, we call it semantic, user profile. Mm -hmm. And now as we see you consuming different pages, um, we see your anonymous ID moving across these pages uh, across, uh, across time, we see you consuming all these different uh, weighted keyword clouds and they go into your profile and get integrated and out, out of it um, comes your semantic user profile which is a large weighted keyword cloud of the most significant terms and phrases you are consuming. Mm -hmm. So what we're basically saying is we don't know how to understand cookie ID 4711 today because we don't know what our customers want to achieve tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So we can't destroy information today 
because we wouldn't know what's information to you as a platform user tomorrow mm -hmm. because we don't know what the, your purpose is tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So what we do instead is we just keep all of it. Mm -hmm. Now this was extremely daunting in the beginning because we were dealing with a thousand times more data than current solutions out there. But that was one of the beauties of actually being able to go completely greenfield mm -hmm. with uh, our CTO who comes from a completely different world, search engines and investment banking, stuff like that, natural language processing. So one of the, the cool things he said to me earlier was, do not tell me how you're doing things today. We do not want to fall into that hole. Tell me what the problem is so that we can come up with a completely new way of solving it. Mm -hmm. And that turned out to be a, a tremendously good rule of thumb. Mm -hmm. So we, we set about doing things in a very different way and, and, and we used the newest developments in, in hardware, for instance, general purpose graphics processing units, GPUs as, as we know them, and, and uh, solid state drives and so on. The newest stuff that was on the market back then. And, and we actually made this work, mm -hmm. right? So, so now we had a platform that could track hundreds of millions of users with tens of thousands of, of keywords in, in each user, semantic user profile. Now we had to come up with a completely new approach to building audiences, mm -hmm. right? In the old world, it's, um, a, 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 you could call it a kind of time extension of, of Boolean logic. You're basically saying, has 4711, Seen, had three contacts with the category um, luxury sedans in the past month and uh, two contacts with economy and finance content, then I think that users in the market for, for a BMW 5 Series. Mm -hmm. That's how you, you do it in the old world. Mm -hmm. So this temporal, temporal extension of Boolean logic. We couldn't do that. We had big, messy, organic, breathing keyword clouds per user. So we had to come up with a completely new way to enable a segmentation, audience creation. But of course, you know, it, it, it was right there in front of us. It was just a semantic approach to be able to either go in and say, I want users who have consumed Apple and iPhone and Mac OS and, and Safari together and have not in the same setting consumed a flower uh, eggs, uh, crumble, pie, or bank, mm -hmm. and thus giving giving to the user a very organic way of building an audience, where you have almost like a conversation with the semantic user profiles in the market you're building an audience for. Because you put in Apple, and it comes back with iPhone, crumble, pie, bank. And you go, oh yeah, wait a minute, Apple is a very ambiguous term. I need to disambiguate this term. I need to make this term much clearer. I need to un, un, I need to make the platform understand what I mean when I say Apple. And you do that by saying I don't mean crumble. I don't mean pie, flour, eggs, um, recipe. I don't mean bank. I mean Apple when it appears with one or more of the following other words, iPhone, uh, Mac OS, Safari, and so on. Mm -hmm. A very organic way that, that we can all do, because what are you doing? You're having a conversation with the semantic user profiles. That's what we call top-down. The other one goes bottom-up. That's um, when, when you have a group of users. Let's say you have 500 users who have signed up for a test drive in your small electric car. And actually, you don't want 
to hypothesize about what terms and phrases they may or may not have consumed. Instead, you want the platform to tell you. So because we know 95% of the internet population in the form of these anonymous profiles, we also know 95% of these 500 users, which means that we have a semantic user profile on them. So you can, you can almost imagine it this way. We take these 500 or 95% uh, of 500 uh, user, semantic user profiles and superimpose them onto each other and let the platform find out what they semantically have in common that sets them apart from the rest of the population. Mm. In other words, if you and I are test drivers of that electric car, what do you and I have semantically in common? What terms and phrases do we tend to consume that the rest of the population doesn't? Mm. That turns into... Uh, and, and that's a key thing to understand. You always do that based on the keyword clouds of the individual user. So what and, and other data points, but this is, this mm. is a very... This is the differentiating element. Yeah. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, okay. That's correct. Okay, so, so so you're moving away from, from predefined taxonomies to a semantic approach yes. and, and to more holistically capture what the user actually is and to also more flexibly put the user into different buckets. I mean, obviously putting a user into an audience always means you put it into a bucket. That's correct. But you're doing that in a much more dynamic and holistic way. And, and you, the client, mm -hmm. have created the bucket. Mm -hmm. We didn't pre-create it for you. Yeah. We empower you to create the exact bucket mm -hmm. for your unique marketing goal. Mm -hmm. So it should be, if it works this way, be much more precise way to, to target users. It's It's... Yes, because you have the option to explain to the platform exactly what you're trying to achieve. Mm -hmm. No one sat down and said, listen, mm -hmm. Florian, these are the shelf products. Mm -hmm. Go into our supermarket and find the closest shelf product mm -hmm. because that's a, as good as it gets. Let's take a color example. Let's say that we have a taxonomy that has two colors, blue and green. Now, you need turquoise, but you're out of luck because our taxonomy only contains blue and green. So if you need turquoise, you could buy some blue and some green, but that does not turquoise make, mm -hmm. right? What we're saying is don't, don't kill the colors. If Florian comes in tomorrow and needs turquoise, he needs to be able to exactly get turquoise. So yes, that makes it much more precise. Mm -hmm. And that also means that because of that 95% coverage in, in most of the markets we're in, you, always, you also get all of the users who should be in, in the audience. You get the full potential yeah. of, of the audience. So that would be like the first philosophical principle, basically, underlying yes. Simasio. Like yes. this, this more precise, more flexible, more holistic approach to yes. targeting. Um, you also followed the second approach, if I'm informed correctly, or say you have a second element that, that's key to what you guys do, right? Yes, because completely independently of that. Mm -hmm. like we could have chosen to keep that for ourselves mm -hmm. and to keep you as our client dependent on us to, to put the power of this semantic precision in, into your hands. But um, I, from the get-go, didn't really believe in that. Mm -hmm. I, I followed a philosophy of saying, listen, truly strategic, long-term, valuable client relationships are based on empowerment, mm -hmm. are based on making your client smarter, based on really helping your client build a competency and and an intellectual property basis in the, a data-driven approach to personalized communication with consumers. So instead of keeping the, the semantic, the power of semantic precision to ourselves, we decided 
to try another challenging thing, which was to make this technology, which is quite sophisticated, as, mm -hmm. as, as we've, we've um, just identified, so easy to use that marketing practitioners could use it in self-service mode, mm -hmm. right? And, and they could sit down at the keyboard themselves and have that conversation with the semantic user profiles or take those 500 uh, test drivers, this first party data mm -hmm. of the advertiser, put it into the platform themselves, have the platform model out what we call the semantic twins mm -hmm. and actually themselves make some um, pretty significant data science decisions mm -hmm. about how to trade off the, um, the, the quality of the audience versus the reach of the audience and actually to, to um, activate the resulting audience in a DSP all, all on their own, mm -hmm. right? Just, just because we have different levels of sophistication in our audience, mm -hmm. so let's, the semantic twins you were talking about, that's very similar in terms of the concept as a lookalike audience that is, or, 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 that or is, similar audience in, in Facebook, right? That is our brand okay. of lookalike modeling, yeah. statistical twinning, mm -hmm. uh, similar audiences, whatever label you yeah. slap on it. You only call it semantic twins because it's based on the semantic approach you just described, right? Yes. But the concept is, is exactly the same as a as, as like a lookalike audience or, or a similar audience. It is just our brand. Yeah of lookalike modeling, mm -hmm. and um, we gave it a different name exactly to have people ask that question. Mm -hmm. But why semantic twinning? Because statistical twinning and lookalike modeling uh, are usually done on the level of, of attributes that have already been ascribed to the user, yeah. age, gender, interest, okay. intents, all this stuff. Yeah. Now we're in a box thinking again. Mm -hmm. So now the only way that you can build lookalike modeling is from shelf products. That wasn't good enough for us. So we went that level deeper to the semantic level and basically said, listen, I, don't, I am not sure your age, gender, household, net income and all that stuff uh, are super important for your affinity for a test drive in an electric car. We think what's- They could be, but you don't- It could be, but yeah. we, we really don't, don't know. know. Mm -hmm. So we went that level deeper and mm -hmm. said, let's look at how you differentiate yourself in your information consumption on the internet every day mm -hmm. on the on the raw semantic level before anyone started to put anyone into boxes before anyone really started to destroy information mm -hmm. so if you're right and one follows your thinking which i think is very logical in a way one could conclude that your initial targeting kind of approach should produce better audiences in terms of for a specific uh, advertising purpose and should also produce better lookalike audiences. Right? I'll, I'll tell you um, a little anecdote that I absolutely love. Um, but that, that conclusion is, is fair to say, right? Yes, it, it, that's why we set out to do this, right? right. But uh, if you ask me, right, the, you're asking the father if the baby's pregnant, yeah, yeah. right? And you know, that's, that answer tends to skew in a certain direction. Uh, <laughs> so, so that's why I wanted to tell you this little anecdote. So we were contacted by um, uh, the head of engineering for one of the uh, most uh, popular dynamic creative optimization platforms. Mm -hmm. And being you know, the CEO and co-founder and you know, wanting to know if the baby's pretty, um, I asked him, how did you find us? And he said, you know what? I went to one of the big DSPs and because of GDPR, they now have to tell me exactly which segments I'm in. 
I looked through all of this, I looked at all the big Walmarts of data, all the big data marketplaces, it was all just a jumble and, and most of it bullshit. Suddenly, I get to this little company I've never heard of called Sumashio, and I'm like, whoa, this is really spot on. Like, this, wow, this, okay. And he filled out our contact form, and that's how he got in touch with us. Mm -hmm. And I just love that story because mm -hmm. it, you know, someone else said the baby's pretty. That's good. Yeah, makes you proud. Makes makes father proud. Yes. That, that that's good. So, but for the not so sophisticated part of our audience, you're also talking about you know putting data on the platform, etc. If you want to use an audience like that, how would you do this? I mean, probably some people here have heard about a DSP already, like mm -hmm. a demand side platform. Yeah. That's how you execute bits that on a certain way, audience. Yes. But you are not a DSP, right? That is correct you are basically providing targeting data in the Semasio platform that then can be imported or basically used in any kind of existing DSP. Is that a correct description? Yes, and a few other ways of, mm -hmm. of activating, uh, for instance, directly into an ad But can server. you talk a little bit about that? How you, how you can actually, I mean, because if I, if I like this now, I'm an advertiser of a portfolio company or Project A or wherever, I want to use the, your data, I think yeah. that's really cool. Yeah. How can it, what, what are my options? Yes. Let's walk through a really simple use case. So because because if you want it to be, mm -hmm. it's a self-service platform. If you don't, you just tell us what you want us mm -hmm. to create. We create it for you. You still get full transparency into what it is, mm -hmm. and you still decide exactly where it's used, and you retain complete ownership of it. We have no ownership rights to it. That is, that is um, uh, independently of whether we build it for you or you build it yourself. But let's go with the self-service example. So, so it will always be in my account, my advertiser-specific yes. Simasio account. Yes. Um, I can always exit it and, and access it and, and put it wherever I want it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And you always retain unequivocal ownership of it. We have no rights to the data you put in, for instance, your test drivers or other first-party data, it's unequivocally yours, and everything you create on the platform is unequivocally yours. Mm -hmm. And that is a very important point for us. Mm -hmm. So you log into the platform and you, um, you create a segment. Let's say that we, um, uh, we wanted to create an adventure travel segment top-down. So we go in, we put in different terms and phrases, um, and, and we are now happy with the audience. Um, then we, uh, we, we, we start playing a little bit with the trade-off between the quality of the audience and the reach in the audience, right? Because there is a natural trade-off. Some people will just be more interested in this topic than others. And if you just want to optimize for quality, you are going to have to do that to the detriment of reach. Your audience is going to become smaller. If you say, yes, but I mean, I, I need a million people in my audience, or five million, or whatever it is, then you optimize for reach, and then you're going to have to compromise on quality. That's just the way the world works. So you basically put every user into kind of a index bucket of how relevant they are for yes. a specific audience Today. targeting. Mm -hmm. Today. Okay. Tomorrow, Could because be your consumption might have changed, uh, or, you, or, or the platform user might have changed the audience definition, you could have a very different score, but today you have 0 0.35. Mm -hmm. And so, and that's your specific affinity level that day towards the given goal. Yes, that mm -hmm. is that unique uh, anonymous profiles, uh, unique score for that audience you just created today. Mm -hmm. So if you set your trade-off at 0 0.35, then you, our good old Mr. 4711, will be in the audience 
and everybody with an affinity score below 0.35 will not be in the audience. Now you've decided how to trade off quality against reach. Now you, you can basically decide which activation platforms your audience should, should go into. Should it go into the traditional DSPs that you use to buy advertising programmatically? Do you want it to go into... Uh, that would be like an Adform or an UpNexus or Google. Tradesk, yeah. MediaMath, yeah. uh, you know, Oath, all these guys. Mm -hmm. have oh, AppNexus is not Oath, that's right. Oh, is it no, 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 oh. no, it's uh, AT&T. Oh, oh, damn. Yes, the, the Such a complex industry. <laughs> yes. yeah. Okay, sorry. And, it, and in Flux, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't just change once a year. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so you, at the push of a button, you push it into AdFall mm -hmm. or TradeDesk or MediaMath or AppNexus or wherever you want it, into your seat on those activation platforms so that they stay your property. The audience you created mm -hmm. stays your property, stays controlled. Also, if you work with an agency. So if you, if you have an advertising agency working on it, you can also push it into their seat? Or how you can push it into their seat. You can push it into your seat on, on the DSP. Mm -hmm. It really depends. They, this, you, just, you just give an instruction okay. to, to your agency or if it's the agency. So it doesn't define whether you're doing it directly or you're doing it with an agency. It supports either way. Basically. Sure. Mm -hmm. We have uh, direct advertiser clients that still work with our agency. Mm -hmm. They just say, listen, we would like to have uh, control of our own data. We would like to own our own custom audiences. We would like our first party data to go into a, a, a very controlled environment where we have the contract, but we still love working with our agency mm -hmm. so they can leverage all these assets, but we own those assets on the platform. Mm -hmm. Or sometimes we work directly with the agency and they say, we're empowering this for our clients. Mm -hmm. We have the contract. We still keep these little, um, data silos per advertiser inside the platform, but we're the ones who hold the contract. We, we, we work in both modalities. Okay, so that's how, how we can use it. Let's, let's probably talk, let's, so that's the, the second kind of your principle. So the first is like the semantic precision. So you're trying to establish a more precise uh, way of or approach to targeting. And the second one is really you take control and ownership as an advertiser. Mm -hmm. That's really the, the second key element of Simasio. So it's your data, you know, how it has been built and you know exactly what went into it. You know exactly where it goes, mm -hmm. you know exactly what it's used for and you unequivocally retain the ownership. Yeah. That's the philosophy. Yeah. So let's let's talk about that vis-a-vis -vis some of the, the, the current trends we see in the industry. Like most prominently probably GDPR and then and, and CCPA, which, mm -hmm. you know, the, in, in California or then probably the US, like a very similar kind of um, uh, data privacy regime going, yes. to, going to evolve. Um, that obviously strengthens the relevance of, of first-party data. So how does that fit in with Simasio? I mean, how does Simasio support first-party data? Um, is, it, is it relevant for you guys, whether it's third-party or first-party data? How does that play, play into these kind of um, elements? Yeah, so from the get-go, we supported the integration of your first-party data, mm -hmm. whether you use it for uh, semantic twinning for, the, for our specific brand of lookalike modeling, or you actually use it to build fairly sophisticated um, seed audiences inside the platform. So we've supported that from the get-go. Um, the GDPR topic was obviously a big one for the entire industry. Mm -hmm. 
and also uh, led to a lot of fear, uncertainty and doubt in, uh, in 2018 when it came into effect because really no one knew what the consequences were going to be, what was going to happen, right? So um, we have from the get-go, we were founded in Germany, so uh, before GDPR, Germany had basically the strictest privacy legislation mm -hmm. in, in the EU, so we sort of grew up with this stuff. So for us, it wasn't that monumental of a change to become GDPR compliant. And that basically also spilled over to CCPA. I was talking to a very large CPG brand in, in New York, and they were saying back in, back in April 2019, listen, we are not doing anything on data-driven marketing from now on that's not CCPA compliant. And I was, I was quite surprised, to be honest, because we don't really know if that's ever going to go into effect. We don't know if it's going to go into effect in its current form. We don't know if it's going to be California only. We know very little. We know about as little as we knew before May of 2018 about GDPR. So I basically just decided to treat that as an opportunity and not a threat. Mm -hmm. So I went back to the team and I said, listen, we're going to become CCPA compliant right now. Um, and we looked at it, we realized we were 95% done. Mm -hmm. Because what is CCPA? It's just a slightly more reasonable version of GDPR. Mm -hmm. One that's maybe not been quite as, as distorted by um, walled garden lobbyists mm -hmm. as GDPR was. Mm -hmm. So, of course, um, we, we, we see where this industry is going mm -hmm. and user level uh, targeting is definitely coming under a lot of pressure. So we didn't rest on the laurels with the CCPA compliance. We said, so how are we going to really solve this problem? And um, the answer we came up to, uh, up with after having uh, thought about it for a while, is that we need to get more legs to stand on in targeting. We need to also be able to target context. Um, and the logical solution was to be able to target context in the same semantic way mm -hmm. that we've targeted users. Because if, to understand a user, we first have to understand the page. And so you can use the same concept of semantic precision to target the page. And so now you can imagine that you've just created your adventure travel segment and you've created an audience out of it. You know that you'll only hit 70% of your audience with it because the rest can't be tracked by cookies or on iOS Safari, all that stuff, right? So now you extend your audience contextually using the very same definition you just used to create the audience. And now you're targeting pages dynamically that are about adventure travel or young uh, parents uh, that like to go on adventure travel um, journeys and so on. So, so it was a very logical extension of the business model to also go contextual. And then we thought, okay, um, at different conferences, I had heard a lot of complaints about the fact that existing brand safety solutions were too coarse. Mm -hmm. In other words, they, they have like 18 boxes. Okay, can we just stop on the on the contextual piece? Because I think if you, if you think about it, would you agree with, okay, I mean, Facebook and, and Google, they all introduced a very you know, specific user level targeting. You also did basically via the behavioral approach of, of specific users. Mm -hmm. And now contextual is kind of a step back in terms of targeting precision because you're moving away from the user level back again to the context level. That's right. So, and it was a big step forward, I would argue, to go at least in terms of targeting quality to sure. move to the user level. Yeah. So is, is contextual targeting 
per definition worse or not as precise as user-level targeting? I think, it, I think the picture is a little more complex. Mm -hmm. So um, contextual targeting was always premised on a, a user being right for a specific audience, a specific topic, mm -hmm. by reading about that topic right now. Yeah. That is not a weak assumption, but it's still an assumption. And it holds sometimes and it doesn't hold um, at other times. But I think one of the biggest weaknesses of, of contextual targeting is that it hamstrings the activation platform in its optimization work, mm -hmm. right? Because you, you have three big optimization variables. You have the user, you have the context, in other words, the page, right, or the site or whatever, and you have the time. Those are, for me, the three big optimization variables. Now you're saying we're not really optimizing that much on the user level anymore, so you have one optimization dimension falling away. Um, and now you're saying, I'm also going to hamstring you in your ability to optimize to specific contexts. So you're really taking a lot of optimization possibilities away from the activation platform when it's trying programmatically to meet your marketing goal. Mm -hmm. And I think in programmatic, that's, that's one of the big problems for contextual. I think that what's happening in the environment, legislative and, and user sentiment and all that stuff, just forces us to go back and to start to think about how to use contextual targeting in, in a more deliberate, in a more strategic, uh, in a more value-creating way, instead of seeing it as the little brother to, to audience targeting. Okay, understood. But sorry, I interrupted you when you were starting to talk about brand. Brand safety, brand safety, and or brand fit, and I think yeah. that's a that's a very interesting topic as yeah, well. Because so how does it relate to the contextual piece again? Because it is the inverted mm -hmm. uh, contextual targeting. Let's say that you're a, a, a global burger chain. You're coming out with a, a, a mega burger with three burger patties in it, and now you want to start advertising <laughs> that. And and um, it's not that you know maybe you want to use brand safety to stay away from obesity and stuff like that. But what about vegetarianism, veganism? What about content that's about the fact that beef production is one of the biggest contributors to CO2 emissions in the world? It's not, they don't have brand safety categories because it's so specific to you. Enter semantic precision. So now you use semantic precision as a scalpel to cut away the exact contexts you don't want to be in. Inverting semantic contextual targeting to create semantic brand fit targeting. So your argument would be, and uh, it's obviously very logical, that it does not only work on the, the semantic precision, does not only work on the targeting side of things in terms of finding the right audience, but also by eliminating the wrong context. So, so using the same principle and idea by having a very specific and deep idea of a specific page where you don't want to appear on. Because it's not just one uh, basically bucket in the predefined taxonomy, but it's a much richer profile of every specific page you could theoretically be on and where you want to be eliminated from. That's exactly right. Mm -hmm. Using semantic precision to either target and to target users, so that's audience targeting solutions, target pages, contextual targeting solutions, or with a scalpel cut away the exact contexts that don't fit well with your brand. Using, using that capability of semantic precision for you to express exactly what you mean. 
What does it mean to your brand? It's your bucket. It's not one that someone created for you who, who, who doesn't know exactly what you're trying to achieve today. One key lever in this whole thing, that's at least my experience in, in display marketing or any kind of upper funnel marketing work, is uh, the creative is one of the key elements in, in this whole thing because the, um, um, basically variance in engagement in, the up, in upper funnel measures is so high that it, the, the, the messaging and the creative uh, element is so important to, to get a good campaign result in the end. Um, and how, how does it, uh, do you also like help on the, on the creative side of things? We, um, we certainly do our best. Um, I think that we've had, we've had myopia for a while. First, we, we, we focused on just making programmatic work because it was so much more efficient than the I.O. Then we said, oh, let's, let's now also start using... I.O., insertion, order, insertion order, sending a fax or a PDF to somebody and then you book or a two million impressions. But yes, yeah. exactly. Um, And, and, and then we focused on put, uh, layering data in. And now I think we, and um, maybe a little too late, we're, we're waking up to the fact that um, the ability to do dynamic optimization of your creative mm -hmm. gives us tremendous possibilities to speak to people in a very personalized way. Let's go back to our example with the electric car. Let's say that you and I, our semantic twins, were both in mm -hmm. the segment uh, of users who are very akin to those who have ordered a test drive. But you care deeply about the environment. That's why you're in the segment. I care about urban economics. I want to drive more cheaply in the city and, that, uh, and, and, and an electric car lends itself very well to that. Now, if I get uh, an environment message I'm not going to respond well to it. Just like you're not going to respond well to urban economics, you're going to maybe in fact feel a little bit insulted because your motivation is very different. So as we know 95% of the internet population and we know the terms and phrases they consume every day, we can get um, behind your intention and find out why you were in that target group. So think about it as almost two-step targeting. Mm -hmm. First, I target our good old Mr. 4711 because he is in the audience of Semantic Twins for the test drivers. But now I ping my platform again and I ask, why is 4711 in the audience? And the platform responds to the, to the dynamic creative optimization engine in real time saying, this guy is an environmentalist give him the environmentalist message and that's the way he's going to feel spoken to personally. Okay, so you, what, what you would need to do then is provide basically a set of messages based on the different subgroups you yes. might have in your audience. Yes. But that's obviously something that the transparency piece basically in the semantic or in, in, in Semasio engine would, would give you that you really understand what are the semantic subgroups in, in, in a given audience. Yeah, or, or maybe you, you, you know it already from mm -hmm. consumer research, whatever. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then what we do is we take the persona you've defined in your consumer research and we take the population and basically segment them into those personae. Mm -hmm. And then we, we, in real time, we, we communicate your persona as 4711 mm -hmm. to the, the creative optimization engine And it then serves the environmentalist message to you. Mm -hmm. So the, the key is really using a persona or, um, for 
the messaging. I mean, you can obviously also use a persona for targeting per yes, se. Yes, sure. Uh, but but it's, it's it's not that that's at least to my knowledge not as widely used yet for creative optimization. That's correct. And and, and if, if you follow my thinking or my thought earlier, where I say in upper funnel measures, it's really key because the the attention span in upper funnel measures tends to be much. Uh, smaller mm-hmm. or shorter than it is when you are, you know, in the retargeting kind of field, or if you are in search where people are really down the funnel and yeah. uh, taking their decision. In upper funnel, you, you, you know, the the um, pe- people are just uh, not taking a lot of time to, to take decision on whether they want to engage or not. So the the, me- the right message yes, exactly. is absolutely key, exactly uh, even more than than lower funnel. So it makes sense to concentrate on this. But just one thing that that strikes me here now, you were talking about contextual targeting earlier mm. uh, and contextual targeting by definition is on based on the context mm-hmm. but what you were talking about now creative optimization happening happening on the user level that's obviously you know that's different levels you have the user you have the context how, how does that fit together so is it possible to use a similar logic that you just described which obviously happens on the user level to also use that in contextual targeting or have you lost this ability so that's, that's where I think it's exciting that we started out as an audience targeting company and now we're growing into a contextual and brand fit company because we're not going to lose our audience roots. Mm-hmm. And so uh, let's say that you have consent uh, to use personal data on 10 or 15% of the population. This is not interesting for audience targeting, but what you can do with it is you can do psychographic segmentation on that 10 or 15% and then you start observing them as they move across the internet. And so if you have a, a persona, for instance, of the environmentalist, you can think of it as producing a topographical map of, or, or a heat map of which pages, sites, channels, and so on heat up for environmentalists. And so now, even though you're not able to target the user, you can say environmentalists are 10% of the population, but on this site, they're 40% of the population. So if you can't target the user, if and you want to put your ad there, put your environmentalist message there, because there's a tremendous over-representation of that exact type of user there, even though the specific user that's right now that has opened the URL, we cannot track on a user level. Mm-hmm. Then we use the page as a proxy, also for psychographics, or any other audience segment you've created with the platform. And that's that's where our extension into contextual is not just uh, us as well, or let's go and copy the, the incumbents. We are really taking our basis in audience targeting and leveraging that by integrating it very closely with this new contextual proposition mm-hmm. and brand fit proposition, by the way. Okay, so that, that that's cool. I mean, combining kind of also the messaging piece and the creative piece with contextual. That's mm-hmm. that's. I at least have not heard that in from anybody else. So that's that's quite unique. Well, if you haven't, I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's good. So let's let's finish this off because uh, I think uh, yeah, it's quite a complex topic, and we're yes. already talking for 45 minutes. Yes. So uh, we we don't want to tire people, but actually inspire people. So yeah. that, then that, the, and that's often a thin line yes. <laughs> between between the two. Um, let, let's probably finish this off with the last topic. Um, so um, because a lot of what we just described um, 
I mean, that obviously would fit in the walled gardens. Yeah. So be, if yeah. you if you look at the advertising platforms that Facebook provides or Google provides, yes. They have great targeting quality. You own the data; it's your account. Yeah. So it's it's like a lot of what you what you described. It just fits perfectly well into what Google and Facebook does, and also what Amazon does yes, now, increasingly, in, in, in increasingly um, which is already number three advertising platform worldwide. Yeah. So, so why do you have a reason to exist? I mean, why why should people just spend money on the three relevant wall gardens? And they are, uh, and and not anybody else. Yeah. yeah. So so. And that that is indeed what's happening, and that's that's the second element of of uh, our philosophical foundation about complete control, mm-hmm. because um, you know the walled gardens are very convenient to use. Mm-hmm. They work tremendously well because of this very tight integrated uh, ecosystem, because of uh, very high precision. Right. They don't use semantic precision, but they use other forms of precision, and they have enormous amounts of data but you don't really get any control, you don't really get much in way of transparency, and you don't really get much in way of ownership. So what they're in fact doing is they're forcing you to come to them and spend with them every time you want to generate more sales. You don't learn much, they learn a lot. And so the next time you come to them and you say, now I want to generate more sales, they're going to take the learnings from the last campaign they ran for you and the last campaigns they ran for all your competitors and they're going to use that and they're going to sell that back to you once more. And you are none the wiser. That's why um, I've taken the liberty of extending the old B2C adage, if the product is free, you are the product, (laughs) into the B2B world um, to the tune of if the platform is really powerful, it's really convenient to use, and all you really have to do is upload your CRM database in the form of hashed email addresses to the platform and then everything works, sir, you are the product. <laughs> oh, that's, I think, a very wise word to, to finish this podcast. I hope you guys found that interesting. And uh, if there's any questions, there might be some questions because it's obviously not the easiest topic. I, I try to, you know, navigate us a little bit through so that it's a little easier to digest. But if there might be any problems, you can obviously contact us and under podcast at project uh, a.com or you can also write an email to Casper. It's Casper at semasio.com. He's very much looking forward to Casper with an E actually, like a Danish pronunciation. Correct. Um, and, and, and a K in the beginning. So Casper at semasio.com. He's uh, uh, very open to answer all your questions and obviously take all your uh, basically buying interest in the Semasio <laughs> product as well. And if you're interested in, um, in um, actually working at a really cool company in Hamburg or Porto. New York, New York, or yeah. Porto, or Porto, or Holborn, Denmark. Okay, so so that that's probably the least <laughs> attractive of the four locations. If you ask Thomas, it's probably uh, like a score phone. It's probably not. But if you are interested, they're, they're, uh, the company's hiring. It's it's uh, very successful, and uh, obviously has a very uh, clear idea of what they want to achieve. Thanks a lot. <laughs>